This one's a little bit different because I couldn't shake an idea out of my head. What if Otis Carr's novella literally is a codex for a blueprint for a fourth dimensional vehicle? What if it is? And being unlocking the code, I feel it's our duty to actually do that. So Mr. McDermott had some time and he joined me back in the refinery and I read the first 50-odd pages of Otis's book. So this is part one, Message for the 20th Century by Otis Carr. It's a fascinating look back into a different time. There's so much God stuff in there. But remember, it's 1950s America. God-fearing society at its height. And the use of the word gay as a term of happiness is used throughout the text. So it's a fascinating look back at a different moment in history. With that, I don't have too much more. I appreciate all the new listeners coming on board. Thank you very much for your support. We are on Patreon, Unlocking the Code. Any support you could give us would be much appreciated. Check us out, Instagram, Facebook, all the usuals. Going to end with demons in my mind. Not sure why I chose that, I just did. That's about it for me, guys. Look forward to part two. That'll be coming out soon. I'm trying to tee up like three international interviews. So that's how come we're getting some local stuff. I'm going to sit down with Martin again in the near future. We've been trying to get one done for quite a while. Look after yourselves. Stay safe. Be kind. Be cool. Engage disciplined. Remember to think critically. And we'll talk soon. Cheers. back we're back yeah well look you had to come back because you said something in the last podcast that i haven't been able to get out of my head and that was we should read dimensions of mystery by otis Carr, because what if this being unlocking the fucking code okay what if this text contains the design plans for a fourth dimensional object a ufo so we gotta we gotta figure it out yeah to stay true to the mission statement. Yeah. Unlocking the code. Yeah. If this is a codex, then we're, this is, yeah. you know, we have to We do have it. to play our part in figuring it out. And that's where you lovely people at home come in. If, if you can dust off your Enigma code-breaking machine. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> we're not saying we're going to solve it, but we need to get it out there. But we're, we're just putting the idea out there to mm. get it solved. Yeah, so... Look, I don't think we should mess around. Obviously, it's almost like a follow-up from the last one. So it's Dimensions of Mystery is the name of Otis Carr's novella, I suppose you could call it, of poems. And and look, we have read some of it, and we we're going to reread it. However, we'll see if it has some sort of continuity now because we sort of just cherry-picked, or I just sort Bits of cherry-picked in pieces. pieces so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so... Strap yourselves in, folks. Mm. Grab your ear goggles. Your ear goggles. And, and get let's ready see. to go. Dimensions of Mystery. A message for the 20th century.
Just a hundred years late. Yeah. By Otis T. Carr. F.R.C. Copyright 1958. Otis T. Carr. All rights reserved according to testament. What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? That's Micah 6.8. Dedications to Miss Adele Tippett, who innocently inspired lethargy into action. My wife Eleanor, whose love and sacrifice in the beginning made this work possible. God and country and all men of goodwill and to the memory of my father and mother. First thought. <clears throat> yeah, grab a drink. The creator of this work honestly feels that any effort of man as compared to the magnificence of the works of God is but the puny cry of a newborn babe. However, down through the ages, men have continued to trumpet as great each little straw that some individual has grasped that reveals the glory of God. The printed and transmitted word has multiplied the adjectives of adulation and the granaries are assuredly overflowing with a harvest of praise for man. Poor, ignorant humanity. On this condemned sphere, how long must it be before you learn the lesson that only God is great? Cannot you sense the spiritual famine that may just be around the corner? Cannot you find the true meaning of the word neighbour? Is justice sold over the bargain counter? Must there be a profit in compassion? Truthfully, the dialects tell us that matter is always becoming in its materialistic change. But who will first attempt to change the element or split the atom of love? Sad, sad fallen man, where will you seek stock market margin if the heavens ignite? Enough. What, is, what this narrator means to convey is that the little straws of wisdom in this manuscript may rank and compare with the other straws in the harvested shock. They may be that great and no more. Is it also expressed hope that some future critic will consider the finished art rather than the technique, the palette, the brushes or the canvas? Otis T. Carr. And what I find interesting, so this is a codex, this is the thing. But who will first attempt to change the element or split the atom of love? Matter is always becoming in its in its materialistic change. It's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to pick up those little sentences, you know? Yeah. Scent, sense. This is the first poem. The nectar in a rose and the blossoms too. In God's perspiration, put there for me and you. And the busy little bee treats the evidence of God's toil in a manner chemically, leaving behind the mortal man a sweet taste of mystery. Hang on a minute. Oh, I say. And the busy little bee treats the evidence of God's toil in a manner chemically, leaving behind for mortal man a sweet taste of mystery. So we've got a woodland fable. Woodland fable. 
springtime merging into summer had come to the beautiful Allegheny Mountains and the region of this tale was alive with the brilliant foliage of the forest. Where there are mountains, there are valleys, and at the entrance of the valley, set between two mountain peaks, a turbulent, fast-moving stream of water known as Jordan's Run wound its way joyously and with abandon towards its ultimate destination, the, the historic Potomac River, and thence to the sea. On a hillside facing west, the first patch of wild strawberry plants had shed their blooms. A moon passed and full-grown berries were awaiting the kiss of the afternoon sun to ripen into their brilliant red fulfilment. A wild morning glory, much too shy and proud to gaze upward at a noonday sun, softly folded the petals of its bluebell, and a large bumblebee that had forced its way into the very heart of this pale, delicate blossom to gorge the nectar and filch the pollen without conscience, angrily emerged from this frail trap and with a buzzing roar, wicked stinger exposed, sped towards his nest his booty, with his booty, daring any and all to get in his way. The forest was alive with a gay symphony of sound, the music of the brook and the crickets with their incessant controversy. Katie did, Katie didn't, the bright clear whistle of a red bird, the trill of the lark and the soft sad cooing of a dove in the distance. All seemed to blend with the rustle of the proud, new leaves of the maples, oaks and poplars, as they swayed in the caressing breeze. One who loves nature and its music may listen only to the overtones and ignore the chords and discords that also abound. The close observer amongst all this beauty sees a spider perched on top of a fallen leaf waiting to pounce upon and instantly devour some poor bug that is crawling underneath the same. A black snake Called around the limb of a tree, lowers his head with a forked tongue wickedly darting in and out, prepares to strike an unsuspecting timid bird. These, and like happenings, are the undertones in the forest symphony, lest anyone forget in this mortal world of sin that, there is, that where there is beauty, there is also pain. And so in this particular woodland, on this particular day, from nowhere it seemed, a heavy, dark cloud appeared overhead, and where before all was brightness and sound, deep shadows abounded, and all live sounds ceased abruptly. Life in the valley prepared for a summer shower, and a bolt of lightning with its thunder, like the symbol to crash to an overture, brought forth a harvest of rain, nature's champagne toast to its myriad subjects. The dancing brook, joyously responding to its replenishing toast, was sitting out in its intermission in the form of a deep pool, whose quiet depth was shaded by the foliage of a stately maple. In a large maple leaf, on the end of a twig, of an extending branch a few feet in the air above the pool, is the complete stage setting and scenery and props for the little drama that will soon unfold, or which will soon unfold. The shower ended as quickly as it began. The bright rays of sunshine with its many refractions from the moistened foliage made the forest a treasure land of glittering gems. The beautiful spectrum of a rainbow appeared in the sky over the valley where moments before a dark cloud had been. Again, the gay life sounds of the woodland broke forth in its multiplicity of vibrations. In a higher pitch, more abundant than before the shower, at this moment, one who has sensitive eyes and ears for beauty can become temporarily transfigured with the spellboundment of it all. A cocky blue jay policeman of the bird world, who had been disgustedly trying to shelter under the large friendly leaf of a tall poplar, emerged and resumed his fun, harassing a pair of nest-building wrens. 
Along the banks of the brook and into the forest, one could hear the gentle drip, drip of the lingering raindrops that were bidding adieu to their hosts, the leaves, as they rejoined their multitude in the swift little mountain stream below. We now return to the aforementioned maple leaf extending proudly over the pool. On this leaf there were two little drops of rain who had not yet rejoined their brothers and sisters in the gay currents of Little Jordan. The stage is set, the curtain rises, and the play is ready to begin. It is the firm opinion of this narrator that everything created by God must have a portion of his soul. It's interesting. Forthwith we now we endow these two little lingering raindrops with segments of the soul of God and give them personalities. This being a romance, they must naturally be girl and boy. <laughs> and we name them Suzanne and Robert. Each were in the ages of maturity, and we describe the young lady Suzanne first. Her soul was as pure and her mind as innocent as the spotted fawn sniffing the first time in the rare fragrance of new blossoms in the wild mountain laurel. And wherever princess fairies gather in the forest, surely there'll be one there named Susan. The next time you're in the forest, and close by a mountain where the echoes want to be, softly call Suzanne, Suzanne, and you will understand. Her hair was the colour and sheen of corn silk from an Indian farm, and every gesture and motion of her beautiful body was sheer poetry. The graceful mannerisms of ages gone, ages gone by were inherited by this modern maid, who innocently and without airs treated everyone as equal. Haughtiness was not in her nature. Surely her heart was as big as a watermelon, seeds and all. This simple poet had not the words to describe her lovely brown eyes, eyes that seemed to mirror the wisdom of women down through the ages. Yet filled with laughter and gaiety as they were, one who looked deeply could find a hint of sadness. Stop. Words fail. Mona Lisa, move over with your smile. The brown eyes of Suzanne with their mystical beauty have brought new competition. After what has been said, is it any wonder that a, the boy raindrop Robert worshipped with unselfish love, well, bleh, worshipped with unselfish love his companion Suzanne? The seeker for rare gems, having found a pearl of great price for a long time, allows its beauty to be enhanced by the background of regal velvet, not daring to desecrate such rare loveliness with the grossness of a touch. Not so the profane and uncouth of the world who devour beauty as they find it and give forth as their satisfaction a beastly grunt. <laughs> Righto. Uh, now, compared to Suzanne, Robert was a very ordinary person indeed. In physical appearance and stature, he was just an average person and no more to be said thusly. However, he did not have an ordinary mind, else God would not allow him to be in the fine company of the magnificent Suzanne. He had a soul that worshipped beauty and he could walk into any museum and amongst the chit-chat producing nonsense unerringly, later, unerring, bleh, 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 unerringly locate a Cezanne or a Halbert or a Corot. And that's probably not either. That's not either. Corot, maybe. Although obscure and unknown by his brethren, the raindrops, he was a true scientist and investigator of nature. He was a true scientist because he knew that the wisdom of God came directly from him or his accredited representatives in the cosmic heavens, to those and only those who were worthy. He loved all life intensely, and to him the despised bug racing across the floor, homing to its scent with a waving antenna, was a poetic interlude. Every rock upturned in a meadow held for him a new universe of exploration. As you might have surmised by now, the inquisitive nature-loving Robert, 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 <laughs> <laughs> 
having found a vantage point for new observation on the maple leaf, was the reason he and Suzanne were spotlighting there. With an eloquence bordering on rapture, he was explaining to her the colours of the rainbow overhead, how each beautiful hue had a wavelength and a personality all of its own, and how the blending union of the red with the violet produced the purple magenta, which was in its indescribable beauty the colour and vibration of holiness itself. He could have continued his inspired talk for hours, but the practical Suzanne, being a part of all that Robert so eloquently adored, was anxious to rejoin that was her nativity. The stream below. To tarry longer would be a sin. She therefore gave him a gay little caress on the cheek and jumped from her leaf perch oh, and jumped from her leaf perch into the pool. She joined the water with a gleeful cry, and with a final wave of goodbye to the lingering Robert she was gone. What sad poor lovers are poets, artists and scientists. Most all are introverts, ever ready to pause, investigate and worship. They know not the meaning of the word seizure. Instead they must grab their pencils, their brushes or their test tubes and labour frantically to be understood. Alone and somewhat dejected, Robert gazed at the spot where his companion Suzanne had entered the pool and with considerable interest he noticed the expanding concentric wave vibrations of measured crest caused by her contact with the water and he mused about the interesting gadgets mortal man had created from such observations the wireless radio electronic devices and his latest monstrosity the sense absorbing and sometimes sense deadening television because <laughs> remember this 1958 right yep. look at that the wireless radio electronic devices and his latest monstrosity the sense absorbing and sometimes sense editing television mm-hmm. he reflected about the time when such work had seemed important to him and realizing that the straight line television array could be bent and deflected he attempted to overcome distance in broadcasting a problem that others had not solved the inspiration came in the form of instantaneous double transmission of two identical rays each fighting for survival such action would continue a deflecting vibration his musing was interrupted by the somewhat startling sound of a voice which seemed to come directly from the waters of the pool and Robert, all interest, lent an attentive ear. And this is what he's heard. And this, <clears throat> and this is what he heard. So he goes under a prayer for a second, but I think obviously, you know, one of the things that would probably point out for the listeners that they would have heard the word, the, the, use, the word gay and how that is actually used in that time it actually meant happy yeah you know what i mean it's it's a different entirely different context entirely different time you know exactly um but yeah that's an, that was that was pretty gripping that it's not bad writing see what i mean it's not bad writing especially if you consider it's 1958 no and you're doing a pretty good job yourself there's oh. a few times there where i would have fallen away yeah right you've you've, you've pushed on through you're doing, doing a good job um so here we are the prayer of the brook Oh, here we go. Hang on a second. Yeah, right. It's all thee and thou's. I might, I might have got another drink for this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, thou great and magnificent God, creator and ruler of heavens, the land and the sea, the footstools from which the abundant life of all living creatures must eventually kneel in worship to thee. In my gay dancing race towards my toward my river and my sea, these quiet pools I form along the way are my temples of worship to thee, O mighty, o mighty God. It is my pleasure and my duty to reflect the greatness and magnitude of thy creation 
and all who pause here will have their countenance turned to thee, O beautiful God, even unto the proud wild stag, the crafty raccoon, and that sad creation of thine own image, sinful fallen man. In the centuries past, my quiet depth hath mirrored the wayward planet that has lost its satellite, its moon, and ablaze in terrible glory, charged through the heavens of men named it Maseroth, the comet with the bearded fiery tail. That's interesting. And those microbes in the bloodstream of the universe, the meteors, fireballs, and bolides, bolides, have not in their terrible velocity failed to reflect the image to thee as they pass here. O God, bless these temples of the brook. May a portion of thy ever bountiful love be bestowed here. Amen. This this one here. In the centuries past, my quiet depth hath mirrored the wayward planet that had lost its satellite, its moon, and a blaze in terrible glory charged through the heavens. And men named it Maseroth, the comet with a bearded fiery tail. We've heard that before. Mm-hmm. We've heard that before. My, my, thought Robert. What a beautiful prayer. He wished that Suzanne had stayed to hear it with him. The rays of the bright sun were really warm by now, and Robert, all alone on his leaf perch, began to feel out of place. He began to perspire freely, imagine such a thing of a raindrop. He decided it was time to be gone. Even now, he would have to hasten to reach his beloved Suzanne at the next pool. But alas, the leaf at this moment, responding to the heat of the sun, began to curl upward at the edges, and poor Robert was trapped. Frantically, he cried out, imploring the leaf to unfurl its edges, but his cries and his efforts to escape were in vain. For a brief moment, the sun, now a merciless heat, was concentrated on the poor, helpless Robert, and the evaporation and the evaporation and condensation did the rest. In a short time, the mortal Robert was no more. All that remained was a tiny speck of dust and a soft breeze carried from the leaf upward toward heaven itself. And so, high in the sky, much closer to God than many, floats in accumulous clouds the ionized dust-specked soul of Robert, who with penance and reverence awaits a rebirth for the fulfillment of an earthly destiny and a possible reunion with Suzanne. With men and rivers, such a reunion is impossible. But lest this tale end too sadly, let us remember the words of our Saviour, with God all things are possible. Of course, as you must know, the moral of this poorly told little play and its episodes is that we should not hesitate too long to join the fast-moving currents of life, else we might just dry up and be carried away. Well, there you go. Get some. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah, okay. discipline equals freedom. Get some. Get moving. Good. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Up and Adam. I think we read this one. Oh, the inverse square of the distance is the measure of a mass. That's why every liquid appears heavier than its gas. Ionized particles are floating in the air, seem to rule the earth, but they won't grow hair on a bald head. I think he's trying to make a joke. And we can tell you this without sounding too prophetic that every piece of matter is really quite magnetic. Therefore, many are bright now. Many, therefore, blah, 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 many a bright man has acted like a fool trying to prove why gravity has a push and pull. Magnets! 
Magnets. 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 So I see here he uh, he pledged his allegiance to God. And then, yeah. And now he's delved in, into the science world. Yeah. He's, he's showing his duality. And do you know what I just... Oh. What? On a bald head. This may be me looking too deep into it. What's mm-hmm. a bald head? It's a, it's a smooth... Yeah. Conical like shape. Like it's a dome. dome. Like it's a dome. Yeah. Maybe that's what he's saying. On a bald head, like a dome. Mm. Oh, I know his particles are floating in the air, seem to rule earth, but yet they won't grow hair on a bald head. Like why is on a bald... Like either he's trying mm. to be funny or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It either means nothing or it could mean something. That's right. Basically. That's right. The trap. <clears throat> we watched a spider spin a web... Twix the branches of a friendly limb. He worked in deadly earnest with a purpose set and grim. And we thought, your work is mighty cunning. Your art is mighty neat. And so surely as we stand here, some um, some unsuspecting fly will soon be spider's meat. Used to do that when we were a teenager. Throw, that sounds, throw bugs into the spider's web. That sounds like he's... Sitting at his desk with reader's block, yeah. staring into the corner, watching this spider wrap up. A yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> it's still cool to watch, right? Subjective, this one's called. Oh, you be the builder of bridges and will be the dreamer of dreams. Before you have laid out the first stone, we'll have a castle all our own. Your bridge will crumble with decay, but our dreams will only fade away. Are you the builder of bridges and will be the dreamer of dreams? Now, that's interesting. That is interesting. And the way that's written, The too. way that that's written. It's like on an angle as well. Yeah, if you're going to... And there's spaces a, in between the letters here. Exactly. If you're going to put a codex on something, yeah. you could work out, you know... Like this could be, this could be spaces. Spacings, yeah, exactly. The spacing the from the... spaces that's and right. stuff like that could mean something. Yeah. The yeah. three dots after the, the three away dots and, the, and away. the away being spaced out. I understand it's, there's um, like just the way it's written yeah. also puts a and you emphasis on, on what he's done. You've got to remember too, he's doing it with a typewriter it. as well, right? So yeah. we're looking at it through a modern computer. He's doing it, so that actually takes a bit of work yeah. to line that up and do that that way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you, you would hate to make a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Faith. The religious stuff's a bit heady, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's it's interesting. There is like, but it it is, but it's also I it's guess reflects it's, the time, doesn't reflects it? Reflects the time exactly. Mm. You know, in the fifties, the religion was way bigger than it is now, especially in like America. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. All right, let's have a look at faith. Faith, cast your bread upon the waters; it will return a thousandfold. And at the end of every rainbow, you'll find a pot of gold. Where your heart is lies your treasure. Learn to look beyond the blue. Keep your faith and mind your manners, and great wealth will come to you. That's cute. Cruelty to worms. <laughs> How do we go from that to that? Uh, angle dangle little worm. Life to you is one big squirm. When we place you on a hook and slyly cast you in the brook. Epilogue. If you wiggle left and right, some poor fish is bound to bite. What's that? See that? It's that little squiggle there. Yeah, I see that squiggle. Hmm. 
Okay. Gold. Hang on. That squiggle is like a... Is it an arrow? Like, does it go round in a circle with an arrow head on one end? No, it's got like a little ball. And, it, and so for everyone, it's going clockwise. It looks like it's going from about four o'clock to maybe two o'clock and maybe three o'clocks in the middle. Yeah, there. I was just thinking like if it was like a symbol like reverse this. Well, if you wiggle left to right, some poor fish is bound to bite. I don't know. That's weird. Mm. Okay. Gold. Just a single blade of grass, one solitary blade, yet no sculptor has ever made a form as so pure as yours, or a painter, a green so rare a shade. No poet ever justly sang the reason why you grow, science prates of fibres and chlorophyll, but they do not know what force within the tiny seed so round brings roots to musty soil and nutriment, no, no, nutriment <laughs> and nourishment to the ground. You feed the animals of the earth, your mighty and your great. And if you leave, how sad to contemplate there could not be this thing we call humanity. Okay. So that was named Gold, but he was talking about plants. Hmm. Okay. Decoy betrayal. Jeez, it bounces around this, doesn't it? It's It really does. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Decoy betrayal. The fact that this one starts with decoy tells me, I don't know. See, it's hard. Yeah, it makes you like, do I even, do I add this in when I'm yeah. trying to break the code? Okay. On a bleak December night, just breaking into dawn, the wild duck slowed in his flight, mateless, spent, and forlorn. There's your decoy. Yeah. Duck decoy. Duck decoy. Uh, he gazed down upon the marshes, seeking a place to rest. And with joy located a group of his kind, floating in a sheltered cove, two and three abreast. With glad rejoicing cry, he glided down towards his tragic fate, dreaming that one amongst the resting flock might become a loving mate. In the shadow, actually look at this, they're all capitals. Uh. And it, it, it doesn't read right? Yep. Yeah, anyway. With a glad rejoicing cry, he gilded down towards his tragic fate, dreaming that once amongst the resting flock might become a loving mate. In the shadowed light at break of day, too late, he knew his terrible mistake, and with beating wings he veered away, for the one sought below was just a man-made fake. Thirty pieces of lead pierced his heart and brain, and the soul of this beautiful wild mallard returned from whence it came. Bloody hell. Could it be... That his only sin was loneliness because he wanted to give love and in turn be loved again. It's a bit of anthropomorphization. That's there's some dark like I was oh, feeling for that fucking duck. I know, man. that poor duck, man. <laughs> duck's Billy tasty. Turned, duck's tasty, but ducks are pretty cool too, Billy you know. Turned what I mean? me vegan, bro. <laughs> it's tugging on the heartstrings. It is, isn't sure. it? But it's not bad writing, that's what I mean. Oh, here we go. Why? 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 It's palatable. Yeah. Why should pain and death and misery be part of that which is part of me? The flower withers on its stem and leaves behind its seed. Oh, hang on. The flower withers on its stem and leaves its seed behind. But death to me is not that simple because I have a mind. The twilight dies in. 
the darkness of night, wherein the stars are born. And the night and the stars die with the breaking of the dawn. Actually, just have a look. Hang on, because we're picking up. Look at this, right? All capitals. Yep. Different different format, right? Look at that. Mm-hmm. He shifted it across. The spaces are all different. And it's yep. written differently as well. Uh, the twilight dies in the darkness of the night, wherein the stars are born. And night and stars die with the breaking of the dawn. It appears that only the animated creatures of the earth, from the microbe to the man, are bestowed with a mind. And this very mind seems to be the source of their betrayal. How can a chicken with its head on a chopping block turn to heaven for praise? See, that's completely... Oh, hang on. Oh, we're still going. Can it be that the measure of the appetite is the measure of the soul? Are the length of the intestines the measuring device? Are blood cells the source of God's conscience? Are we consumers of such tainted with the ism that begins with savages? Is that ism? Is that one SM? What's that? Ism? No, it's ism. Ism? That's weird. Having read the foregoing tome, you might think there's wisdom in my dome. (laughs) I like that. But has the depths of thought in this confusing thesis been successfully probed by my two little nieces? This dude's throwing down bars. Yeah. He's trying to freestyle now. Thy, with words from their limited horde, wrote this upon their little blackboard. Bonnie and Susie have an Uncle Otis who comes and goes without notice. He loves Mother's cooking. He likes his swig. And that's why his tummy is so big. (laughs) I think, think, uh, uh, yeah, Bonnie and Susie's uncle likes a beer, I think, and his food by the sounds of it. Here we go, jealousy. My love has an ugly pup with long, black, straggly fur. Here, pup, here, pup, tell me what hold you have on her. Her eyes light up with rapture whenever you're around. Curse thy pedigree, you should have been a hound. Yes, her eyes light up with love when she pats you on the bean. Then my very soul, with envy, turns to the colour green. Was there ever shining love light in her eyes for me? No, I rate a vacant stare. Lucky pup, you are in heaven. Do you know that you are there? I'm overcome with jealousy. In fact, I am a wreck. Take care, you ugly puppy, or some day I'll wring your neck. Okay. Otis just got dark. <laughs> you just, <laughs> that, I, I read more. I don't know about you, but I read some more into that. Anyway, oh, then we go from jealousy to true love. Of course we do. Oh, there are more hidden treasures than pieces of eight. You can find them if you try. It's never too late. For these is treasure and beauty and beauty and love. And the angels in heaven above will look down on you and envy. On the two have found the treasure of beauty in love. And the format keeps changing. I think the spaces is something. You know what I mean? The format of everything keeps changing. It could be. Or, or it could be, you know what I mean? could be the way each type of poem's meant to be set out. Yeah. That's, and that's know, Yeah, it's, it's but, so difficult, right? But maybe maybe he's done that on purpose. That's what I mean. Maybe, because maybe I, I realise that he's doing it with a typewriter, so it's not like, mm-hmm. 
tab, 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 away you go. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly easy to... No, there was a skill to it. Yeah. Especially all the centering and everything. Mm. Okay. Unfair labor relations. It's a roller coaster, this man. <laughs> Complain the bobbin and the needle to the spool of thread. We work so hard and fast that we're almost dead. Okay. Complain the bobbin and the needle to the spool of thread. We work so hard and fast that we're almost dead. All you do is run around, and while we must rust, back and forth, and also up and down. That's interesting. What was the title of that? Unfair Labor Relations. I don't think that's <laughs> to do with that. But anyway, okay. Cool. Oh, here we go. Cosmic Power. Now we're talking. Oh, David slew Goliath without any trouble. It was an easy task for him because he had a double. Slingshot with a pebble. Also a steady aim. And with the good lord on it, good lord on his side, he slung himself to fame. See, that doesn't read right. This is the thing that I, you know. Trouble, double, aim, fame. Because the other thing too, right? So it could be the spaces of the rhymes because it doesn't read right. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't flow like a poem should. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So here we go. It's Inter- interesting. Interplanetary. Let's then repair to wisdom's lair, forsake the gun and saber. Believe it's true, a Columbus knew. See these little, look at this. Mm-hmm. There's, I've seen that a few times now, just little it's underlines. Like underscore, yeah. Little underscore. Believe it's true, a Columbus knew. We'll make Mars a neighbour. Hang on, let's go again. Let's then repair to wisdom's lair, forsake the gun and saber. Believe it's true, a Columbus knew. And it's not new, any K-N-E-W will be, will make Mars a neighbour. Okay, yeah. Make of Mars a neighbour. Yeah, so believe it's true, a Columbus knew, a new Columbus, so an explorer of a new world. Right, right, right. Will make Mars its neighbour. We'll make a Elon Musk. There you go. Okay. Yep. Let's scale the peaks of wisdom and make our goal a star and cry with everlasting joy. We are, we are, we are. Yeah. So that's that's about becoming a spacefaring civilization. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first step is making Mars a neighbor. Yeah. Look, Mars is interesting, man. There's some interesting photos coming off Mars. Well, see, the thing is, right... I don't know, my brain just went to a place in terms of if we make Mars a neighbour and we ha- set up trade between the two planets of resources or whatever, yeah. well, the way in which we're set up, the way the the capitalist world works, yeah. those things will then get better and better and better. Yeah. Um, if it's worthwhile, mm. you know what I'm saying? Mm. So that will then uh, get our technology to a level where we can... It's a stepping stone for our technology, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Because it will power that in... Like at this point in time, there's not a massive market. No. But Elon and Bezos and... But and what, what kind of minerals Virgin does Dude, Mars have? Do you, you don't know that, you know? 
No, that's right. That's right. But that's the stepping stone. I, I believe that's why he's saying um, that's the first step. Because I still, why aren't they going back to the moon? The moon has less gravity. It'd take, make a lot less fuel to get from the moon. Oh, and the moon's so much closer. Exactly. Sort of thing. So we, why, you know, you know, you know, why are you know, they not? You know, you talk about, we talked about, we owe Tesla podcast. We also owe a moon podcast as well. We've been mm. talking about the moon on and off for years. So now from, I want to read that one again, actually. Actually? 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 Remember that I talk for a living, guys, and I've already taught a class today, so <laughs> give me a break. No, you're doing really well, man. I'm going to read this end to end because it sort of got me a little bit. It got both of us. So it's interplanetary. Let's then repair to wisdom's lair, forsake the gun and saber. Believe it's true a Columbus knew will make of Mars a neighbor. So forsake the gun and saber. Yeah. Put aside our differences. Put aside our differences, yeah. Stop the war and focus on this. Yeah, exactly. Let's scale the peaks of wisdom and make our goal a star and cry with everlasting joy. We are, we are, we are. That's pretty, that's pretty deep, man. But now we're off to Montana. Montana, Montana. Purple shadows on the meadows. We want to go back again. Purple shadows on the meadows where air is fresh and thin. Purple shadows on the meadows where the snow-capped mountains rise right there before our eyes. We travelled round this world. We've been, from, we've been from shore to shore and what the world has to offer we don't want no more. We'll build a home far in the west where the snow-capped mountains rise where the purple shadows on the meadows will be with us till we dies. Oh, here we go. Question. Question. There has been a lot of talk. Oh, hang on. There has been a lot of, and then talk about the split atom in this past decade. We wonder who will be the first to split the sunlight from its shade. The ether, man. The ether. Was he talking about the speed of light? Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, split it from its shade. Yeah, split it. Talking about, um, yeah, photons and their qualities. Yeah, like actually examining the light into well, not only the light but possibly yeah, the the particles. Yeah, the yeah, the photons, the the speed. The properties of light also, not just not just um, what it is. Right. Yeah, yeah, potentially. What page are we up to, brother? We're up to page 34. 34? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Look, we'll get to 40-odd and we'll see where we're at. Righto. Because it is, yeah, it's getting on. Because what did you say? There's about 80-odd. 83 pages, but they're not all... They're not, yeah... Some, Some of them got a little, yeah, little, four-line poem little, on it. So we'll just see where we get to. Righto. Um, Punch on, my friend. I want to do question again, though, because I think this one has meaning as well. There's I been a lot of talk about the split atom. But this is... I want to read it how it says. There's been a lot of talk about the split atom in this past decade. We wonder who will be the first to split the sunlight from its shade. Exclamation mark. A family tribute. Amy, Susan, age 11. Bonnie, Ellen, age 10. Raymond, age 8. Robert, age 4. 
Andrea A2, age two. So he was a family man, notice. They had a lot of kids back then, though, as well. Mm. So what's he got? One, two, three, four, five. Five. And it's stepped out again. Yeah. Which is interesting. These are the five little steps that led me to ecstasy because I love them and they love me. Andrea calls, crawls upon my knee. Affectionately, I squeeze her. Robert in righteous jealousy socks me on the beezer. I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> Man, I got socked on the beezer. Yeah, yeah, like, but yeah. I was even, I even turned my hip into the onslaught. Yeah. But the hand still wrapped around, got yeah. me right on the beezer. Right on the beezer, yeah. Uh, Raymond. With trusty six-gun commands, I reach for the sky. His fierce demeanor is trained. <laughs> Raymond, with his trusty six-gun commands, I reach for the sky. His fierce demeanor is betrayed by the twinkle in his eye. Bonnie does a gay dance and tumbles on the floor, while above the din, Susan shouts of her latest Girl Scout lore. The television blares out loudly, yet no one heeds its play. And the kids all shout in unison, Uncle Otis, Uncle Otis, how long are you going to stay? Their mother emerges from the kitchen to demand an indignation if we in our hilarity would wake the entire nation. <laughs> she declares, Uncle Otis, your nephews and nieces with your infernal noise will shake the house to pieces. Otis is copping it. Though not meant to be, their, Wooden's, their mother's manner is, was quite grand and I shall always remember her gentle reprimand. You magnify their devilments, you glorify their tricks, and with you around Otis, my five little problems are multiplied to six. <laughs> uh, so he's a fucking child. Yeah, yeah, he's just a big kid. He's just messing around. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, man, growing old is inevitable. Growing up is entirely optional, right? I, that you know, if you can't experience the, you know, we've got kids. Sometimes you're enjoying the game, and you you do become younger for that period oh, shit, of time yeah. you know and that's the important stuff man fucking nice that's the important stuff alright where are we up to so we go from that to transition the invisible fingers of a gentle breeze plucked a golden harvest of maple leaves and gently laid them one by one at an altar lit by the autumn sun. By, sorry, by an autumn sun. The reason I am correcting myself too is because we know later he says that each word is as, as important as last. So, mm-hmm. And it was there in the cool forest on this bright October day that I watched the death of summer in an atmosphere quite gay. There was laughter in the shadows. The sunbeams danced gracefully and the Capricious breeze boldly, but oh, so softly caressed me. On the cheek, then I heard a voice, I swear it. Wake up, wake up, lad. There is laughter here. Why don't you speak? There is laughter here, exclamation mark. Why don't you speak? Shocked, I tried to answer, and I knelt at the golden altar, but no words would come. Yet my soul seemed to query, is not death a time for gloom? I might well have spoken, for the answer came quite clear. O thou child of mortal sin, learn thy lesson here. God gave us summer, he has taken it away, and with reverence we rejoice. We spirits of the forest, because God was here today. We servants of the Lord, the wind, the sun, the rain, know that what God has taken, he will return again. And then down the bottom, uh... 
Be strong and good of courage, be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, with ever soever thou goest. Whither soever thou goest. Joshua 1 9. Oh, here we go. Mystical revelations. Juicy. See, the thing is, it seems like he, he's got to get in his God stuff. And then directly after the God stuff, there's a tidbit. There's something tasty. There's something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a religious guilt sandwich. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe we're just not picking up on it. Mm. Maybe all the codex is, is, in, the God is stuff. in the God stuff. Could be. Mystical revelations. He sat in his study, a small, neat, well-decorated room, which was library, sanctum, and laboratory. Which was library, sanctum, and laboratory. Located in a second-floor apartment of a typical Baltimore row house in a neighbourhood bordering Druid Hill Park and its zoo, and on a street opposite the once-renowned Orkin Torrelly Terrace. Orkin Torrelly Terrace. There was an atmosphere of mystery about this room and its occupant. On one wall was a beautiful Italian tapestry depicting a desert scene. A camel caravan with the pyramids in the background. A mirror over the cabinet on the opposite wall reflected by candlelight his countenance in deep concentration. A small incense burner in the form of a statuette of Ahimatep IV in his beautiful hands over the heart supplication to his creator was also visible in the mirror. Suddenly, without a flicker of the candle's flame, something happened in time and space, and the spirit of the man in his study in Baltimore stood in the Egyptian desert, and by the light of a full desert moon he gazed up at the countenance of the Sphinx, and with wonderment pondered the great enigma, the unsolvable mystery. Who were they, and why did they, many thousands of moons, past a hundred centuries or more, listen to that, past a hundred centuries or more, that's ten thousand years, Build this giant monstrosity, the body of a lion and the head of a human. Why? As he stood there with his thoughts, a gentle desert wind, seeking out the crevices in the second enigma, the great pyramid at his back, seemed to softly wail and mourn as if to complain of an intruding imposter on hallowed ground. A cloud drifted in front of the moon, the shadows lengthened and deepened, and the complaint of the wind ceased, and in this atmosphere he heard the sound of a voice that broke his reverie. In utter astonishment he gazed upward towards the muted lips of the mighty Sphinx, and what was what is written here within the following pages is the message that he heard. Here we go. Earth child, thou who was chosen by the cosmic at the turn of this century for a particular task hearken well and listen attentively to thy third cosmic revealment from space you are hearing the voice of revelation and fact there will be no prophecy here at long last the full meaning of thy previous revelations are known to thee and the great wonderment of this new knowledge fills thy heart and mind but fear and concern have departed and thy mind has proved worthy to receive this new cosmic illumination. But first, a review of your two previous mystical experience are spoken of now. At your tender age of five years in the month of your nativity, December, in the year of 1909, on a mountainside, 
in Western Virginia was revealed to you a magnificent sight, a cross over the full moon expanding throughout the heavens with rays brilliant and more pure than spun gold. As though later knowledge about this science has confirmed this was no trick of optics, on that frosty wintry night there was no traps around thy humble log cabinet abode to produce illusion. It was decreed by the cosmic that thou shalt should be the modern witness to his sign in the heavens, so mote it be. Because you are chosen, the evil one, that archangel Lucifer, rushed to your side, where he has been ever since. His efforts to destroy you have been many and great. In the ages of thy tender innocence, many times he literally plunged thy mortal spirit into the very vortex of his most concentrated atomic fire. Each time the cosmic rescued you, and although thy physical body was oftentimes wrecked by torture, thy mind ever remained clear as the tinkle of a bell in the fields at twilight. At time, as time and maturity brought thee the inheritance of mind, duality, and consciousness, the power of the great cosmic, the power of the cosmic, waned in thy behalf. Nevertheless, thy guardian angel stood by thee in accident in sick and sickness. Sure, the evil one has had a Roman holiday leading to thy immortal soul into the pitfalls of betrayal. He who is the father of all lies has taught thee well. His solicitude on thy behalf with its cunning has the essence of a fine art. We come now to the year 1938, when again thy immortal spirit and soul received the second message from the cosmic. The mad dog in Central Europe was at its height, of his feast on human blood and his betrayal of human spirit when you discovered the laws of the mighty atom and release of its energy were dimensional. In shocking, startling realizations, you knew the significance of the fourth division of a concentric curve and the sixth geometric division of the sphere. You discovered for yourself, without textbook research or recourse to the archives of arcane and esoteric wisdom, that the equilateral triangle held within its form and dimensions the story of creation. You knew for yourself that the motion and velocity of the planet Earth could be dimensionally duplicated in a relative measure and equation and that the energies involved could thereby be made manifest. We already There you go. This is the part. Okay. You designed and had made a tiny device, a reflecting prism that demonstrated how vibratory energy could be returned to its source. Evil Lucifer had led thee through so many dark alleys that thou receiving light were unable to properly evaluate it. Nevertheless, your subsequent actions and activities were not too abhorrent to the cosmic, else this third and last illumination would not be given thee now. Thou would dare to ponder, inquisitive one, on the mystery and the enigma of the mighty Sphinx and the Great Pyramid. Here now is the answer for thee, and all the others who care to pause and listen. I'm waiting. Yeah. My body is that of a lion, and it is a symbol of the greatest vibratory force in living nature. It represents the materialistic atoms that manifest in this solar system, a force out of control that can destroy all life and consume most all matter. My head is that of a human, God's first symbol of living creation in the universe. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Uh, all that is created by God is controlled by his love and for a reason is soon revealed here. You will understand the symbol of this edifice which thy unenlightened mind has considered a monstrosity. And the great pyramid opposite me is the temple within 
wherein this generation rediscovered God. The mystery of its sighting devices to Polaris soon unfolds and the baffling enigma of the mighty Sphinx and the Great Pyramid is being revealed at last. Have patience, listen carefully and write what you hear. The hands of time turn backward. 3,650,000 turns of the Earth past and 10,000 journeys of the velocity in its path around the sun, the spot and vicinity where thee now stand was a paradise on Earth. There was no Sphinx or Great Pyramid because there was no need for such. So he's talking prior to... That's mm. 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago. Yeah. God was indeed proud of his creations in those days. Here in the valley of the Nile where God created man and his woman, there had come enlightenment. And in this paradise of the lotus blossom, lotus blossom and the scarab, men and their beautiful ladies had reached the stature of mature minds. The contact with God was mighty and personal and close indeed. Mighty personal and close indeed. It was only natural that in time these brilliant people should discover the mighty terrifying power and force of the atom. God was troubled, and in his intimate personal appeals he warned the most high amongst them, take care that thou control this great force which thou hast literally snatched from my right hand with the only force that is more powerful, which is my love. From henceforth this knowledge you now have is the mighty king of your planet. Just as the lion with his vibratory roar rules all animals of the earth, so wilt this terrifying atomic power rule the vibratory forces of nature around thee. Forget not that only love from heaven itself is the superseding power. In that day the archangel enemy, Lucifer himself, despicable outcast from heaven, sensing a banishment from even the earth, his last stronghold, and an end to his ignoble career tore up and down the land, creating contention and dissension, and sowing his seeds of hate even on the bare rocks by the wayside. In his mad frenzy to control his dynasty, he tried every trick and every deception, and finally amongst his many tricks he discovered a weapon that worked. And even unto this day, and to the generation which thou art a part, have ever been led away from God and his love by this one weapon of Satan, which is... Oh, insignificant one. Doesn't say what's that entity. Doesn't it? Does actually give us the word? Yeah, looks like there's something missing off the front end, off the back, like insanity. Yeah, I don't know. Or sanity, sanity. Insanity. But like I said, it looks like it's missing off the front and the back. Yeah. Not, not the commendable personal vanity or of, of refinement, adornment, and cleanliness, but the vanity. ego. Oh, vanity, it must be. Because that's, that's the exclamation mark. Yeah, vanity. Right. Okay, here we go. Cool. So, it's, in part, have ever been led away from God, his love, by this one weapon of Satan, which is, oh, significant one. Oh, insignificant one, vanity. Not the commendable personal vanity of refinement, adornment, and cleanliness, but e the ego vanity of the heart the soul and the mind. The devil with his new power, what a gay one he became. Believe it's true. Even He even scalloped his fingernails. Okay. <laughs> at every temple meeting of the high priest, at every conclave of the scientific minds, he was the first on hand. How he did put on. He had inherited from heaven the vibratory electromagnetic power of the all the angels and he began... 
of the angels, and he began to demonstrate this force to these mortal men of 10,000 years past. He would gather from the ground a scarab, the cricket of that day, and instantly transmute it into an image of solid gold and fashion a ring for any duped observer on hand. His campaign or nefarious cunning began to flourish as he nourished it with words and thoughts planted in the minds of his victims. Say you men, he would begin, has not God stated that thou hast discovered the power of his right hand? Do not you know that each and every one of you are as powerful as God himself? Why all these temples of worship to him? Tear them down, I say. We will use the proceeds to create more atomic power. Remember God is but one, and here on this earth thou now hast God's right hand and me. There are no secrets in heaven that I know not of, and with me and thy atomic power we not only rule this planet, but in time heaven itself. Okay. So obviously he's going, oh shit. Yeah. Oh oh shit. Mm. What have we unleashed? What have we unleashed, yeah. The build thyself atomic-powered aircraft of circular foil, as it were, a wheel within a wheel, and I will join thee on thy ascent to heaven, where we will shake our fists in the face of the omnipotent God. We will demand that he turn his angels over to us, and we will build a dynasty greater than all God's creation. Think on it, little one, as thy spirit stands before me, the enigmatic sphinx, the cruel Lucifer was dealing with mortal minds that had succumbed to vanity. Is it any wonder that his devilish, devilish eloquence led them astray? In thy own beloved country, not so many moons hence, there will be a free election of mortal man for high office. Believe it now, if any candidate amongst them should show one-tenth of the devil's initiative on the campaign he staged many thousands of years ago, they would surely have votes to spare when such were counted. See, little political dig of the day. Mm-hmm. As Lucifer observed his success, he waxed more eloquent day by day. Entering the sanctums of the most high initiates, he postulated, Polish thy mirrors, light up thy candles when thy gaze at thy countenance. Ask not for inspiration from the God of thy heart and solace from the guardian angel, but rather exclaim, Ho, ho, how great am I. I have God's power, therefore I am equal to God. In fact, glory be, I am a God. Not only that, I am. I have Lucifer on my side. How can I fail? I have God's power, and I have more than he. I have an ally. And in this manner, a noble generation of 10,000 years ago was rushed to its doom. <coughs> o little earth child, thou has for these many years been in the clutches of the evil one. I could tell you thee enough about his artifices in that time of which... I will speak to fill many books, so let us suffice with the devil and turn to to God in his heaven. How great was the sadness in the heart of the Lord. He called his angels into conference and said, Look thou on what has happened to my poor creatures on earth. That arch enemy of love has filled their hearts with vanity, and even the smallest amongst among you know that after vanity comes hate. Surely with the mighty atomic power they now possess, if they turn it on themselves, it will mean for them annihilation and extinction. They've torn down their temples of worship to me, and those in leadership who have always asked to receive my blessings and my love no longer turn to me for inspiration. 
Instead, they are poisoning the minds of all their subjects, demanding that they pay allegiance to their system and nothing else. It's a little, like, a little bit of um, God Lucifer stuff, man. But in all honesty, I'm hearing society. To be honest, <laughs> like, I had actually thought about vanity as being that. However, maybe, you know what I mean? No, well, the way he's putting it down, I understand. Somewhere where he said, um, first come vanity, then it leads to hate. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you can, you know, wish to get rid of others and then you can use, you know, with the devil's mm. temptation, you can use... Um, yeah, instead the they are poisoning the minds of all their if, subjects, demanding well, that they, they pay allegiance. It, and you can turn it on themselves yeah. in terms of the... Uh, um, yeah, if you've got a guy, if you've got a whole crowd of people with um, torches and pitchforks, you just got to convince the pitchfork guys that the torch guys want their pitchforks and then that's it. That's right. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, here we go. What what think thou, dear angels, with my will I can break my covenant with Lucifer, wherein I decreed that I would overcome him with love? With one sweep of my hand I can dissolve his despicable character and person so that not even a speck of dust be left to his memory should i wait for love to destroy him when he has resorted to devilish tricks that will destroy my creations my beloved people on earth each and all who have within themselves the power to gain angelhood even as thou there was a great vast in taking of breath by the angelic horde that accompanied the lord there was a silence in heaven the like which was never before and has never been since and at last a mighty unison of voices, they exclaimed. Nay, 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 O great and magnificent God, thou to break a covenant, never, never, never. Heaven could not endure it. Thou who art omnipotent, the creator of all things, never, 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 thou canst not break a covenant. Rather, dear God, allow us, who are brother to the evil one, and who have no power greater than he, allow us to intercede. Sadly, God smiled and replied, Fear not, I was only testing thee. At this time, Lucifer has the upper hand on earth. I have no weapon against vanity except the love, and for the time being we must allow his will to reign. When the terror is over, I shall call on thee. That's a little prophetic. Well, as you should know, a great civil atomic war broke out here in the valley of the Nile. The magnitude and power of it all caused the planet Earth to wobble in its orbit, and horrible and great indeed with the destruction of all life. That's interesting. One of the sincere scholars of thine present time, little one, has with confused mythology described a similar momentous destructive time. Turn to his Worlds in Collision for eloquence. That's that, which one's that guy? Worlds in Collision. That's it, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, a, book that's a book, yeah, yeah. But allow not for my words of revelation to be a comparison for controversy. A few short days and all was over. The planet Earth regained its balance, the tidal waves receded, and the stench of fallen reached to heaven itself. God, sick with the tragedy of all, again called a, again blah, blah, blah. God, sick with the tragedy of it all, again called a conference of his angels, said the Lord. Surely the evil has won around in my fight to overcome him. That gluttonous devourer of human blood, what a feast he has had. Even now he reclines in the centre of the area of devastation, my former beautiful valley in Egypt, with his ignoble feet resting in the waters of the Nile, now so contaminated with the radiation that 
his is the only life that can survive there. When a glut that's debauched, debauched sleep, surely his beastly snores rock the very foundations of heaven. Hearken, my angels, to the immediate task of rehabilitation that I have set for thee. Quick, gird thyselves for action, and get thee to the planet Earth. The devil's sleep is not long. It will be three days at most. In that time, these things thou must do. Lead from the caverns and the crevices and the rocks and the mountains high where I have hidden them, the last remnant of my creatures on Earth. Heal only their mortal wounds. Thou art powerless to overcome the terror in their hearts and minds, and for a long time they will be unable to intelligently speak, hear, or see. Also, clean up the horrible contamination of radiation in the water, the soil, and the air. Wherever thou findest a leaf, a blade of grass, a twig of a tree that shows some life, bless the same and command that they grow and multiply. And right beside the place where the evil one sleeps, the very heart of my beautiful valley of the Nile, where I conceive my noble creations, man and his woman, now so mutilated and devastated, thou must erect two monuments that shall last till the end of time on planet Earth. They must be great in size and magnificent in proportion, and they must be symbols of power and the true and living God. I build there, complete within three days, the mighty Sphinx and the Great Pyramid according to my specifications which are given thee now. Well, there you go. Three, three days. Da- three days. Knocked it up. Get it done. God the Creator. Mm. And so, inquisitive Earth listener, this stupendous, mind-rocking secret is out. This mighty Sphinx, this the House of Glory and the Great Pyramid, the first and finest of many man-made duplications to follow, were not built by mortal earth hands, and the mystery is a mystery no longer. Hearken further to the instructions given by the Lord at this moment, at that momentous time. So did he just say that aliens built the pyramids, man? He did, right. yeah. Okay. Said the Lord to his angels, when thou reach the earth, go into the land which a future prophet will name Lebanon and select the tallest cedar. Strip its limbs and peel its bark and with crystallized sand from the banks of the Nile, polish its surface to the smoothness of ice. Taper the tip to a fine point of the needle and do thou likewise with the butt. I name it now the devil's toothpick, the proportions which signify the size of his bloody appetite. The appetite of betrayal, which in turn some day will betray him. At one-tenth of a league from the devil's debauched couch, insert the giant toothpick upright in the sands. Let its erectness be as straight and true as a plumb line and its tangent. On the following morn, watch thou for the rising sun in the east, and when the shadow of the toothpick is cast upon the sand, trace it. Let that be the radius from which thou will prescribe to the right the arc of a curve. Do thou likewise as the sun sets in the west, prescribe from the radius of an arc to the left. Now thou hast the extreme diameter of the edifice to be built, the great pyramid, which will be my covenant to the remnants of the planet Earth and the generations to come. Complete the arcs into a circle, and the exact right angle bisect the east and west diameter with a north and south diameter, and lo and behold, the line pointing north, so see a new constellation in the heavens, Polaris my new star of the north for planet earth. Pause not to worship, but make haste and build the true temple of God on earth for the generation to to be rehabilitated and all future generations to come. Make this an edifice of of four triangles coming to a point equal the height of thy measuring device, the devil's toothpick, the great polished cedar from Lebanon. 
built an entrance and chambers within this pyramid and a sighting device exact and true to my new star Polaris. As the centuries grow and the mass amnesia and fear and consternation slowly depart from the minds of my subjects, they will come to understand by entering the temple of the pyramid and sighting at Polaris that the motion and velocity of Earth is timed and organised. Okay. Here some day man will again discover me. Great will be my rejoicing and great will be the reward for that significant one. Hearken well, angels, to my final specifications for the Great Pyramid. After the mighty stones are fitted in place and the form is complete, veneer the surface with rectangular sections of polished limestone. When this is done, make thou a reflecting agent from the matter at hand. Take a mixture of copper, feldspar, mercury, and apply it to the limestone, and the finished surface will shine and glow like no jewel thou hast ever seen. Eye light will be reflected and bent to a greater degree than from the most polished cut stone from the purest carbon. When all thy work is completed on the morn of the third day, and the vile devil's sleep becomes restless, thou shalt return to heaven with me and observe the manner in which I shall awaken him. Yes, on this third day, at high noon, when the sun has reached its point of zenith, and its rays are reflected from the great pyramid, thou shalt see, see a revealing sight indeed. While some are building the temple of the pyramid, others must be erecting the mighty sphinx opposite, and this edifice must be a symbol of the all-powerful atom and the only manner in which such force can be controlled. I build the body of a lion, that king of nature's vibratory sounds, and place on the body the composite features of my most noble creation outside of heaven, man and his woman. Insomuch as they are originally created in my image, then know that the head of the sphinx must be long a likeness of me, thy God. As the centuries emerge, my creatures will regain their stature and maturity. Their languages and methods of thought transmission will evolve many times. And when they have approached the wisdom of the great vibratory power of the atom, surely this edifice will be the uncontested revelation to signify that such force must be controlled by the love of God. When my subjects realize in full and true meaning all the two temples which thou art completing in three days, then my kingdom on earth will be will begin to be established, and in time the evil Lucifer will cast himself aside. Continue the Lord, dear angels, whilst thou labour I shall place upon the earth a new flower, the mighty rose, whose nectar whose nectar and whose scent will forever be more heavenly to man. It shall be the symbol of beauty and purity for all time to come, and its very nectar and scent shall come to be known as the sweet as the sweet of the heavenly father and in order that life on earth ro a rose is the fibonacci sequence too i'm pretty sure yeah 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 there's a lot of flowers that follow that sequence. yeah sacred geometry and in order that life on earth shall be shall become instantly and more abundant i've created a new creature the bee a tiny but mighty insect who shall be my agent and bring bounty and beauty to the resurrected earth and he shall leave in evidence of his toil a sweet and satisfying food of great nourishment. So mote it be. Just needs to be said that, you know, everything else is going on, but the bees are actually in a lot of trouble. And the fact that we don't focus on that actually shows how stupid we are because there's no bees, there's no food. Hmm. Like, anyway. Hmm. And the first to discover me in the new generation, I shall dedicate to his memory forevermore my two new creations, the rose and the bee. Again, so mote it be. At this moment, there was a pause in the voice of revelation, 
and the spirit of the man from Baltimore stood petrified with amazement and expectancy as the words of the Sphinx resumed. Well, little earth listener, on the morn of the third day, the work of the angels of the Lord was completed in every detail, and they prepared for their return to heaven and the commendation of their God for a task well done. A mischievous angel, whom God has yet to personally chastise, even unto this day, stopped to take a last look at the debauched devil and saw that his sleep was showing evidence of restlessness by the twitching of his long forked tail. He picked up a large rock, placed it firmly on top of the tail, and hooked its speared point into the crevice of a rock in such a manner that the devil was securely anchored as a ship in a harbour. The angels returned at once to heaven and assembled before God. Now the Lord seemed a little restless and preoccupied, addressing his returned subjects, he remarked. I declare sometimes the waywardness of my creations gives me the creeps. I've been up all night trying to adjust the twinkle of the planet Jupiter, which has been in error for the past two days. At last, in this early dawn, the trouble was located. One of Jupiter's moons had slowed in its orbit through jealousy brought on by observing my new creation with Polaris. With a little sigh, the Lord shrugged his shoulders, and now all interest, he turned his angels and said, I see that your work is well done. The two great monuments are correct and perfect, and I am well pleased. It reaches high noon on the planet Earth. Watch thou with me, that rascal the devil shall be awakened, he who knows no fear, and shall learn it now. When the sun reached its zenith, its bright rays were refracted in a strange manner from the four sides of the Great Pyramid. Interesting, we know now it's eight-sided, you know. Well, that's why it refracted. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And directly above the pointed top, a brilliant, shining, transparent sphere swarmed instantly. In its centre was a tiny reproduction of the sun itself, and it symbolically appeared as though a great sun was giving birth to its own image. This dazzling, brilliant sphere expanded to the diameter of half a league and began to spin as it hovered over the Great Pyramid. When the spinning motion had reached the relative speed of the Earth's rotation, the entire mass disintegrated in a shattering blast, a thousand times more powerful than any unit of force that had decimated this area earlier. When the devil awoke with a great roar of rage and fear and his voice raised to a high pitch of frenzy, turning to a scream of anguish and pain as his anchored tail jerked him flat on his back where he was bounced up and down many times by the shockwaves that followed the gigantic blast of the refracted sun. Finally, he regained his feet, and with a mighty heave, he freed his tail, leaving one of the forks behind in the rock. Placing the tip of his injured tail in his wicked mouth, which even then did not muffle his screams of rage, blasphemy and fear, he fled far, far away from the valley of the Nile to the land of the Hindu and the Chinese where he stayed for many a day. Okay. This goes on for a bit, doesn't this it? This goes on for a fair while. Yeah, right. This goes on for quite a while. Can I... Okay. How many How many pages into this, this section are you? Um... We're up to... I feel like you're like six or seven pages in. Yeah, yeah. We're up to page 58. I'm just going to grab a drink because I've been trying to... Well, mate, how about we just uh, put it off till next time? It seems as good a place as any to... Yeah, look, I, like... I think... Because there's still a lot more to go. Like, I was, I was hoping this would stop and we'd have a bit of an understanding of where it's going, but there's still... 
look, there's still, where are we, 64, 65. This goes on. There it is. That goes on to page 69. 69. Right? And then it's the Testament. And then that's, and that goes on for a while too. So, all right. Look, I think, um, I think, yeah, let's leave it there. Um, initial takeaways, very odd, a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, reading it, I fell into it a couple of times. Um, but there's some definitely some weird stuff in there, you know what I mean? Can I just say you've done a really good job? You know, I was very impressed with, um, with your reading. You've Thanks, done, mate. You've done really good, man. Yeah. Did better than I would have done. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Especially for that amount of time. Yeah. Well, but mate, no, it's very, like you say, very interesting. Um, this this current one that we're reading at the moment. There's a lot it, of stuff in it here. It has some good stuff in there. Yeah. Some things that tweak tweak my interest. Mm. So, yeah, I think, yeah, let's leave it there. So we're up to page 51 or 57. And, yeah, we've still got, like, the next, it is 83 pages, but the next 15 or so pages are pretty full on. Like you were saying before about some of them being only short. Yeah, some of them are only short, but some of them are pretty full on. Yeah, like this is, we've still got another 10 or 15 full pages of writing to yeah. go through. So, yeah. No, all good, man. Look, that's been really, that's been excellent. I hope and look, I know this is this was a bit of a different one for the listeners out there. However, again, I know it was a bit weird, but what if within this past 51 pages, we've actually heard... Of bits and pieces about how to put together and some of it is very interesting and it's obviously it's the lens that it's looking through as well so it's like he's using lucifer and god and angels but what if he's you know what i mean like there's now that you know 70 years down the track mm. we're looking at that through a different lens 100 percent. uh you know what if you're looking at custodians mm. and the power, the, their boss, the power almighty. And he's saying here that obviously the the younger Dryas is mm-hmm. not a meteorite impact but was a nuclear war. I mean, you think about some of the stuff coming mm-hmm. out of India with the Vimana and you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there's fascinating stuff. So listen, let's leave it there, man. Thanks very much uh, for joining me for the reading. Um, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get the next one done in the next week or so so we can tie that one in a little bit of a bow. Yeah, lovely. Awesome, Awesome. dude. Thanks for that. Cheers, mate. Catch you, bud. Talk soon, guys. Thank you. Have I burned up? Have I blackened the ground? Will I fight back? Find my strength again? This has been
Give it all. 